Welcome to Understandable Solutions, the podcast where we discuss business and current events, those important issues that impact our world. Our goal is that you walk away with at least one nugget of useful and thought-provoking information to make your day. Here's your host, Jeff Newkirk. Hey, Jeff Newkirk here, Understandable Solutions podcast. I am so excited today to have Jeff Shalansky with me. His friends know him as Gunny. He's a military vet, and we're going to talk about his experience in the military and his new passion, which is his nonprofit organization called Fob Razor. So, Jeff, let's just get us started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. First of all, thanks, Jeff, for having me on the show. It's Absolutely. an absolute honor, sir. Absolute it's honor. It's great to have you here. It's, it's a privilege to have you here. Likewise. Likewise. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, yeah. Uh, retired gunnery sergeant from the United States Marine Corps. Uh, served from 93 till late 2013, so almost 21 years in the infantry. Uh, not too bad. Uh, managed to wrap up a pretty decent career. So over 20 years, you must have had just an incredible uh, experience, and you served uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. So so tell us, what was it? Well, first of all, what are you doing now? Well, now... I, uh, by, by day, I'm a, I'm a, I work for an insurance company, and I'm a catastrophe uh, adjuster. And by night... Can you, can you tell us who? Oh, yeah, of course I can. I work for Allstate. Good hands, people. They're good. You're in good hands, man. Okay. You're in good hands. All right. But, uh, and then, you know, my, my you know, work isn't my life. And he, uh, I, I realized when I was in the Corps that work was my life. It was my identity. And that's not, that's not what it is today. Today, that is not my identity. I am not wearing a blue shirt talking about high five to all state crew all day long anymore. Uh, my, my passion I share with my wife is fob razor. We are, we are 100% all in on trying to help veterans and first responders deal with this suicide epidemic, deal with the, 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 the problems that come with that suicide epidemic, such as addiction and anger and anxiety and, and post-traumatic stress and everything else that, that we as veterans, that I as a veteran have dealt with. And my brothers out there are, are as well. Yeah, and, and we talked about this uh, before. And I mean, just through our conversation, I learned so much and could s- just sense that passion from you. And it's like, it's contagious, you know? I mean, when we were done talking earlier, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I was so on fire and I still am to help fob razor i mean i really want fob razor to to do everything that it can and more so we'll, we'll talk about that but before we get into fob razor tell us like where where did jeff shalansky grow up <laughs> jeff shalansky grew up in this uh really small town by the beach uh just uh, west of tampa florida it's this little town called seminole it's about a mile and a half from uh, madeira beach and that's where i grew up my dad's a mailman Mom worked at a bank. Jeff raised all kinds of cane out there in the streets of uh, streets of Seminole and uh, on the beach of Madeira, Madeira Beach. You were a troublemaker? Just a little bit, sir. Just okay. a little bit. All right. And then when did you enter the military? I joined them. I went to boot camp. This is no lie. Six days after I graduated high school, I was at Paris Island, South Carolina. Six days after I graduated, I knew that I could not waste any time. I had to get the heck out of there. And what... What motivated you to get into the military? Well, <laughs> and why? And why the Marines? 
that's a funny story. That's uh, I like sharing this one, and my father loves hearing this one too. Uh, my father's a Marine, and uh, you know I was like every other kid growing up. I thought for sure I was going to be a pro baseball player or football player. I, I didn't even plan on doing anything else because I thought for sure that's what I was going to do. So you're probably a pretty good athlete, right? I mean, you're a big guy. What are you, six three or? Yeah, uh, well, at the time, I, I really, I would say that I was a little average, maybe even some, and some would say below average. Some of my friends said I was a little too slow, but, <laughs> you know, that's okay. That's all right. But I, you know, I got into high school and I realized that I didn't know what in the world I was going to end up doing, but I always had the, the thought and I always looked up to and admired our military. I always admired our military. You, and it was that because of your dad? Well, because of my father, because of, you know, what I have seen and what I had learned historically, I'm a big fan of history. So hearing mm-hmm. what our American men and women did to, to start this country and to preserve it always struck a chord for me. It always, always was something that I just thought was miraculous. Yeah. So. Because it was. Oh, absolutely. 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 You go my front yard right now, there's a giant statue of the. Of, of the flag being raised at Iwo Jima. Come on. I swear to God, my father-in-law. Made that is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. I, I want to see a picture of that at some point. You got it. No <laughs> problem. I'm proud to show it to everybody. Uh, but, you know, my father came home from delivering mail one day, and he said, uh, you know, boy, you know your, your grades ain't good enough, and I don't have the money to put you into college, right? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, if I were you, I'd think about uh, maybe – joining the military. And I said, you know what, dad, I, I think that's something I'm interested in doing. And he said, all right, well, I'm gonna tell you one thing right now, boy, do not, do not join the Marine Corps. So, so that's why you joined the Marines. Well, yeah, he said, I said, no, I asked him, I said, why? He goes, cause that's what branch I joined. And there's no reason it's the hardest. It's the toughest. You, you do more with less. There's just no reason to do that. That's what I did. And it's the toughest. Don't do it. So the next day I went and talked to a recruiter and my father came home from delivering mail and he said, you talk to any recruiters? I said, well, I talked to one dad and he said, what branch? <laughs> I said, the Marine Corps. And he said, you are an absolute idiot. <laughs> he said, did you pick out a job yet? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, he's going to come by today and have you uh, sign some p- papers to give me permission to join. What did your dad say then? He's again, he re- you know, he just doubled down on the fact that I'm an absolute idiot. But I think at that point he was like, ha, got him. He's out of here. So when the recruiter came over and my mom was all freaking out, of course, but my dad was. Well, like, she's, so she was probably worried. Like, you know, I don't want my son to go into that. Yeah, military and, baby boy, I can't yeah, let him go. Right. But, you know, my uh, mom said, well, did, what's, what's his job going to be? And. My recruiter, his name was Sergeant Grantham. He said, well, I tried to talk him out of it, but he is 100% positive that he wants to be an infantryman. And my dad, again, just, he threw his hands up and he he just, at that point was disgusted. And he's like, this kid is going to do whatever he wants to do, just like he always does. So just let's just sign the papers. And did he think he, you were going to make it through boot camp? I think, uh, you know, because I had some injuries, you know, playing football and uh, stuff like that. I think they probably thought, if anything, it was, I, I, if I didn't make it, it would be because I got hurt, you know, a, a knee or something like that. But yeah. they knew I was hard-headed enough and, you know, they knew I definitely wasn't scared of too much. So, <laughs> so, so you made it through boot camp, and then what? 
you know, I made it through boot camp. I, I went to, I became an infantryman, uh, had duty stations all over the world. My first duty station was in Central America. So I'm an 18 so, year old man running the country of Panama. It was fantastic. So tell us what, what, because not everybody knows what is an infantryman? What, what, what do you do as, as an inter- infantryman? Well, I'll tell you what the Marine Corps does as, as an infantryman. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you the textbook version of what a Marine infantryman does. And that's okay. locate, close with, and destroy the enemy by fire and maneuver. Or, so you're going to be in a forward area, as they call it. We, right? that, absolutely. Okay. You're, America, your infantrymen are the fighters. They are your modern-day warriors. And that's what an infantryman in today's infantry is. Okay. All right, and that's that's what you were doing. Absolutely, couldn't imagine doing anything else. So, were you on the front lines at, at, in different, you know, in Iraq or Afghanistan? Well, or, I mean, how did that all happen? You know, it, it was kind of a it it has been a, it's been an inter, it was an interesting twenty one years. You know, for my first ten years in the Corps, you know, it it was post Desert Storm, prior to September eleventh. So my okay. first 10 years in the Corps, there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of training and preparing for. And it was grueling and absolutely, you know, just some of the toughest training I could even imagine. A lot and, of cold, and most of us would never survive. A lot of cold, cold, cold nights. You know, I was in, a, <laughs> I was in what we call a raid company uh, for about seven years consecutively. And that means you're in Zodiacs. Uh, you know, coming in from the Pacific Ocean at two o'clock in the morning through surf zones that surfers don't even want to go out and surf in. And uh, you go. You that sounds the, really terrible. Yeah. You hit the beach and <laughs> then you're freezing and you move forward to go, you know, hit an objective to, you know, to hit it, destroy it and have a planned withdrawal to head back out into the ocean. So, yeah, that was that was the first 10 years in the Corps for the most part. And uh, I didn't realize at the time how much. I was going to look back on it and be so proud of what I was doing. Uh, today, I look back on it and I talk to my buddies. Most of, you know, most of them got out after four or five, six years. And when I still talk to them, we still, we still look back on it so fondly that we almost forget how absolutely miserable we were with hypothermia, starving, absolutely exhausted. Well, you were in it together. Absolutely. At 100%. I don't know so- how many times, you know, a man would go down with hypothermia and you're out there in the middle of the beach. There's nowhere around. There's not a, you know, uh, we let's put them in the car to warm up. There's none of that. There's only one way. To so fix what do you that. do? You got to get in a sleeping bag with them and, uh, you got to, you got to strip them down, strip them down to nothing. And you got to strip yourself down to nothing. You got to crawl in that bag, one sleeping bag. It's the only chance you got to keep your buddy warm enough until he can get to a hospital. Dang. That's really getting a close relationship with your <laughs> fellow soldiers. <laughs> that, that that's some brotherly that's some brotherly action right there i yeah. promise you that <laughs> sounds like it so when your friends left but you decided to stay yeah i uh i i did um i uh i, I chose to make it a, i i did get out of the marine corps for about six months after four years oh okay and um i realized it didn't take me really long to figure out that a i'm back home where i grew up at i was going to get into a lot of trouble just like i used to and the other problem with it was I needed, I needed the brotherhood, that, that bond that I had with, you know, with my men that I served with. Now, some of these men, I only knew two, three years, but I had more of a bond with them after what we did, what we've done together 
than mm-hmm. I did with some of the guys I spent my entire life growing up with back home in Florida. It was just a different, a different bond. And I think it's, you know, commonality builds camaraderie and so does misery. Well, and you're in a situation, it's, it's life or death, right? And Correct. you're putting your life on the line. He's putting his life on the line for you and for him and defending our country. And it's a, it's that's, a, that's pretty awesome. I and mean, when you think about it that way, I mean, nobody thinks about it that way. Right. But that's, that's what you're doing. I absolutely. And I look at it like this, you know, it's only, only in today's in the military, are you going to take men and women from all over the country with different views, different social economic backgrounds, different everything. And you're going to throw them all together. And they are going to move forward for the one singular goal. One singular goal. That What's is hard goal? to come by. What's the goal? The goal is to take care of bringing everybody home. Nobody gets left behind. I am doing what I am doing. You know, it's not for the bumper sticker logo, got a t-shirt for it thing. I'm doing it for him or her. And she's doing it or he's doing it for me. And it's one singular mission. And it's absolutely amazing. That the way you explain it is just, I mean, that blows me away because no, I mean, you talk to anybody on the street, they don't, I guarantee you, they don't understand what you've been through that, you know, that bond and, and how, how risky it is to, to, to be in, in the Marines or the armed services or what, everything you did, the risk that you put yourself in. For us, for us to live in this country is just, to me, it just is, is, I can't even get the words out. It's, it's really amazing. Well, thanks. And, you know, Jeff, the thing of that, this is something I tell to my, to my lifers at Fob Razor all the time, is that, you know, you, you join the military, you put yourself in harm's way. You are essentially the 1% of our nation that does that. 1% of our nation does that. Now, you got to ask yourself, though, not why you're doing it when you're doing it, but why are you doing it? Why did you agree to do it? Why did you join to do it? And you join to do it knowing you're going to be the 1%. Knowing you're the 1%, but your mission, your, your, the reason why you initially join is to defend the way of life for the 99%. Amazing. And that's okay. That, so it, to me, when— And you know that you're putting your life on the line. Absolutely. Isn't it worth it? It's so worth it. This, this country is absolutely amazing. Absolutely unfathomable how one piece of paper written by such, such absolute geniuses turned this country into what it is. You're talking about the Constitution. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, going back to that 99%, it's okay that they don't understand. As a matter of fact, I'm fine with it because... I don't know that I am. <laughs> Well, you know, and I, it does bother. That bothers me. I appreciate that, but the most it, it, what it, you're not. We're doing it so that their way of life is protected. But it's, they should appreciate it. And I think most Americans do. I, I just don't think they understand think everything right. that goes into. It. Yeah, I, I, and I don't want to, you know, embellish on that. I, I, I do think many do appreciate uh, our military and all that you've done and all that you do. Especially here in Texas, this, you know, as somebody who's not from Texas, you know, I got here as fast as I could, Texas. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, uh, you and and thousands of others. That's right. That's right. This state is absolutely 
this is, I, I understand the pride now, and I understand where this Texas attitude comes from because y'all are a proud group of people, and y'all are grateful for your military. You're grateful for your law enforcement, and I love it. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty awesome place to be, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so tell us a, a, a memorable occasion, a story uh, that you experienced in the military. Oh, man, I got quite a few of them. I, I know that you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some of the ones that come to mind, uh, you know, is the, the most memorable thing that sticks out to me, especially now that I've been retired since, you know, 2013, is I look back on it now and I realize the type of people that I was around. And I'm so, so grateful for the, the men and women that mentored me and that, that were my peers and that I got to eventually at some point mentor as well. You know, I, I came up in the core early on the core, and I was trained by this man named Rick Sams. And Rick Sams taught me, I, I honestly thought that being an infantry Marine meant you had to be the strongest, you had to be the fastest, you had to shoot the best, you had to swim the best, you had to hike the best. And that's what made a, be, an, a, a good infantryman. And he taught me that it was a thinking man's game. He taught me that it was a studying game, that to be a true warrior, you had to actually master your master this art form that is infantry and the only way you could do it was by studying so it's not all physical it's cognitive it, it's absolutely and you know what it's constantly changing and it's constantly morphing into something else and if you are not willing to adapt to to the change you're going to get left behind you're going to be a dinosaur and that stuck with me as an early 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 young marine and it's something that's Carried, I carried through my career and still to this day, mm -hmm. it's helped. It's a huge reason why Fob Razor is what it is, um, you know, because we're able to to look at the, the 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 behind the scene things that make it so make it that make us stand out and make us stick around. Right. So, right. you know, and then I had another leader named Andre Smallwood. Uh, he I ran into him along the way. And uh, I was probably a, a young staff sergeant. And I, at this point, I'm, I'm starting to have some problems on the outside. I'm great when we get overseas. But uh, I'm one of those guys that they're like, man, don't let that Shalansky character, <laughs> don't let him out of your sight when we're back here in the continental U.S. And uh, Because you're a troublemaker? Uh, just a little. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Andre Smallwood taught me about taking care of, of people. He taught me how to take care of people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% positive that I am the family man today that because of what Andre Smallwood taught me. Uh, wow, he, I, he had quite an influence on you, I can tell. Absolutely. Uh, this man, if he called me today and I picked up my phone, all he would have to say is, hey, killer, <laughs> jump out the nearest window to you right now. And I wouldn't even bat an eyelash. I'd say, yes, Master Sergeant, and I'd jump out that window. Um, he, he t I didn't always apply everything he taught me then, but now I can look back on it. And I realized that the way he taught me how to treat people and how to love the people that, that, that you're with. And he taught me that even when, they're, even when people are doing wrong or being bad or, or letting you down, there's a way to fix that. It still show love and she'll still care about them. And not discard him. And that was something That's pretty powerful. Yeah, because that was something I needed help with and he was there for. Awesome. But you know, the one thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I know you I know you love this story. Uh we're we gonna talk about Johnny Rhodes. Yeah, let's talk All about right, John awesome. Rhodes. I love this story. Hey, and if Rhodes, you hear this, you better call. <laughs> uh 
Hey, uh, you know, I was in Afghanistan, and I, I, uh, my last tour was in Afghanistan, and I got to pick pretty much. I got the greatest team the world has ever, ever been a part of. And uh, one of the guys in my team was this cat named John Rhodes from St. Louis, man. John <laughs> uh, Rhodes. East St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. John Rhodes is one of these cats that, uh, you know, he, he was good at what he did, but he couldn't drive. You know, he, he'd gotten a DUI out there, so he didn't have a license anymore. You know, so he, he's an envelope pusher. Yeah, oh, oh, he's something else. He's <laughs> definitely an envelope pusher. He's one of those guys that, you know, when we were leaving Iraq to go to Afghanistan, me and my boy Razor had to go kick in the door to his can and be like, hey, John, you coming to war today or what? <laughs> he just was that guy that, you know, he was probably going to be late, but he was going to get there and you can count on him. And uh, I talked, you know, I was so happy to have him on my team because I had trained him and I knew what he was about. I knew that he, you know, I, I had taught him to be a combat marksmanship instructor and I had taught him how to do all these things that he was good at it. And you picked him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. John Rhodes was somebody that I knew I wanted. And the funny part is not even infantryman. He's an embarker. But oh, and what is that? They're the guys that pack that, that do all the math and all the, you know, playing Tetris mentally to try to get, Everything that you need to go, you need to take with you to war. They help you pack it up. So make putting sure. the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, and then gotcha. they get it there, and then they bring it back for you. And they, they're they're little geniuses. And uh, but I knew I, you know, I knew his skills were going to come in valuable to us on the way out and the way back. And I knew what he had to offer once we got in theater. But uh, <laughs> we got assigned interpreters because we were in, we were our job was to train and work with the Afghan police and the Afghan army. So. That um, if you ever seen a video of uh, you know what it's what that job is like, just Google Afghan Army doing jumping jacks. It's a it's a pretty uh, it's a challenging job. It really is. So when you told me to do that, I, I did. Aha! Aha! <laughs> and it is not at all what you would expect to see. No, it isn't, is it? It is. Uh, it's it's a little different, isn't it? A a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, you, you, you can't did, plan for that. No. And you can't even really explain it. You just no, have to just go see it. see it for yourself. Yeah, there's <laughs> no choreographed uh, moves in, in that vi- in those videos. You can't. You, yeah. I don't. Yeah. So you, you'd have to just check it out. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, we we're, so we have to teach these. Now, when we get the, these Afghan uh, men to come in to be police officers or soldiers, let's not let's not sugarcoat it. These are not warriors. These are not people that have already been in the military or been in the army. And we're just going to fine tune these people. Clearly because they have challenges doing jumping jacks. Correct. Correct. <laughs> correct. So, uh, you know, uniformed PT physical training wasn't part of their everyday regimented life beforehand. So these men that are, they're recruited out of villages and whatnot. And, uh, so we have to teach them everything. We got to teach them how to put on a uniform. We got to teach them how to, you know, work with weapons, load weapons, uh, unload weapons, take them apart. You know, everything that goes into what we think a basic rifleman needs and needs to be able to do so we can go forth and, and do our jobs. We got to teach them. And so that they can do theirs. That's right. Well, we, yeah, absolutely. And the whole mission behind it was so that I know it's tough to talk about now so that we could one day leave and they could actually defend right. uh, the country. But that's another story. That's yes. Agreed. Thanks. <laughs> but anyway, so we're teaching classes on how to use these weapons and, and all that goes into AK-47s and everything. And we're using interpreters. 
Now, like I said, John Rhodes is a pub. He's got a PhD, public high school diploma. You know, he's not. Uh, he's not. You know, building rockets or splitting atoms or anything on his off time. You know, he's a. Uh, he's just a different cat, man. And so we're te- we're out there teaching these classes, and we're teaching through interpreters on how to how to do all this stuff. And he's on your team. And he's on my team and yep. he's doing great. And I'm so impressed with the energy he's bringing and, and the fire he's bringing and all this. But what I didn't realize was in the course of the first couple of weeks, he's learning how to speak Dari and Farsi. He literally is learning how to speak it by listening to the interpreters. Okay. So you got to tell us what, what did you just Dari and Farsi? He's learning how to speak Arabic language. Okay. And, and that's called Darian Farsi. Yeah, they've got. I guess they got different dialects, sort of like you know uh, the, the Chinese language or whatever. They've okay. you know depending on where they're from. Or whatever. But he he's learned how to speak. He learned how to speak Arabic in a very short period of time. In a matter of weeks, he's learning how to speak it. And we, so he's it, he's a pretty sharp guy. He turns out he's a daggum sponge, man. He really <laughs> is. So we're out there on the firing line shooting for the first day. And the, I look and I see my interpreter just throwing up his hands because I've got like five different firing points with, you know, probably 30 guys on each firing point and One Marine that's, you know, running the show, running the range for him. And I see the interpreter on, on John Rhodes's uh, on his firing line, just throw up his hands and start walking away. So, you know, me right away, Gunny's got to come over there and fire up an interpreter because you don't walk off of my firing line type deal. And he tells me, he says, ski. Johnny Rhodes doesn't want me. He doesn't need me. He won't let me do my job. And I look over, and John Rhodes is running an entire firing line, and he's not speaking one word of English. He's speaking completely, 100% Arabic. So did, could you understand what he was saying? No. <laughs> I had no idea what he was saying. The only reason why I did have an idea of what he was saying is because I taught him when we give, the, when we give commands to load, make ready, aim, all these things. We use hand and arm signals, so when it's windy, you know what people are saying. Yeah. And uh, but I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> so I go over there and I said, John, you are speaking this already. He's like, man, I just been listening to it for three weeks and I picked that up. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me! You absolutely got to be kidding me! I said, do you know what they're telling you back in reply? He goes, oh no, I don't know that yet, but I know what I need to tell them. So I grabbed that interpreter, kicked him in the pants, told him to get <laughs> back up there, and when John Rhodes needs you, you'll be up there. And it was funny because, like, I'd say probably about two weeks later, you know, we're wrapping up this training. These guys are going to be officially now gunfighters, right? And big wigs are coming out there to watch and see and, you know. Make sure that you guys are doing your job and Afghan soldiers are prepared. And so more so probably coming out there to be like, look what we did, you know. You know how it goes. So anyway, they come out there in this old Marine gunner, older guy comes up to me and he says, and Gunner is a warrant officer rank in the Marine Corps. It's basically you're a weapons god if you're by the rank of Gunner. And uh, he comes up to me, he goes, hey, Ski. And I said, yeah, what's up, Gunner? That Marine, that Marine right there, who is that? <laughs> he's said, pointing to Johnny Rhodes. Yeah, he's po- I said, that's my boy, Sergeant Johnny Rhodes. And he said, that SOB is speaking Farsi. <laughs> and I said, yeah. Did he speak that trash before? Is he from here? Where did he learn to speak that? I said, oh, no, he learned that when he got here three weeks ago. Turns out John Rhodes is an absolute genius. And nobody had any clue. But this dude it, it just did some of the most amazing things. And you, you just could never be, you never can be too surprised. Because then eventually it just becomes, well, that's what John Rhodes does, man. 
So, so the the moral of that story is we need more people like Jan Rhodes. Well, and the the moral of the story is do is you know don't be just sitting here judging people based on based on what you think they're capable yeah. of. You know, Absolutely. you know, we've got some fun and, you know, anybody who always wants to talk trash about the youth of our nation, I want to pop them right in the soup cooler, man, because they just don't have any understanding <laughs> of what some of these young men and women are capable of. That's right. Yeah. And, and the key is don't judge at all. Ever. That's right. Ever. Don't yeah. you judge. Don't be judging because and if you do, you you plan on being pleasantly surprised <laughs> if you just give somebody a chance. Yes, absolutely. So, Jeff, talk to us about how how your transition was now from the military to civilian life. All right. Cause you love the military. You still do always will. Absolutely. Um, this is where, you know, I, I lose some of that, that, uh, you know, that energy that I bring when I talk. Um, when I retired from the Marine Corps, I, I remember when I took off my uniform, I remember my retirement ceremony and I remember being happy. Yeah. Um, I never, ever, I thought I, it was something, I thought it was something I really wanted. You know, I thought retiring was like the dream. I thought being retired was the dream. I thought that was what this, this was the culminating event. This was mm-hmm. the grandiose. You had served oh, your purpose. Yeah, and, yeah. I did it, man. Got the t-shirt. That lasted for about, I'd say, six months. Um, see, I started to realize, well, I, I ain't going to lie, I didn't start to realize. I knew already that I had a problem with alcohol. I, I actually knew I had a problem with alcohol since I was 25 years old. Uh, but I, I realized the reason why it didn't completely consume me professionally was because of the Marine Corps, because the men that I was responsible for leading and because of the men that were responsible for leading me. There was this, this sense of, uh, you know, of needing to, needing to be there for one another that kept me in line. So the Marine Corps saved your life. It kept me, it kept me alive. It definitely kept me alive, you know, and I started to have some issues. I I knew before I retired that uh, I was having some issues with nightmares and stuff like that. were starting to eat me up. Um, I also knew that I started, you know, I'm a pretty pumped up guy. I'm a pretty happy and jocular guy. Uh, But anger and anxiety was becoming an everyday part of my life. And I have to say, and I I haven't known you long at all, but we've had a, I don't know, we spent some time together now. And you, it is so hard to picture you angry. Oh, yeah. Because you're just, you, you always had this big smile. And that's the funny part. Even when I was a, an instructor at, at the Marine Combat Training Battalion, even when I was yelling at people and screaming at them, you got a smile. No, I'd walk away and they'd think I was really mad, but I'd walk away and laugh because it was just an act. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the last few years of my career, it wasn't an act anymore. Yeah. I became, I, I became this guy that I didn't even recognize. My family didn't even recognize. And after I retired, um, you know, my marriage didn't last much longer than that. Um, within a year of being retired, we decided that's it. We're going our separate ways. And uh, most of it had to do with me. Um, I, I'll be the first to admit it today. I was, a, I was a pretty rough person to be around, you know. And uh, I, I realized that I didn't have a whole lot. I, I woke up one day in 2016, and I realized that everything that I loved and I want that, that 
I had worked my whole life to build, didn't want anything to do with me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had, you know, a failed marriage and that, that I was okay with. Um, but my children, uh, they, you know, they, dad wasn't what they, what they remembered. About. Dad wasn't what he used to be like when he would come home from overseas. Yeah. Dad wasn't the happy go lucky. I think, uh, I get, I used to get called a Disneyland dad all the time. Mm. You know, I wasn't that guy anymore. Um, and they didn't, they couldn't be around me. I was, I was just, I was a rough person. Um, I was going to college, but I wasn't even, I was just going, I was checking the boxes. I was just going, I didn't have anything holding me accountable. And when stuff like that happens and you're, you're a slave to a beverage, like I was, I'm an absolute, I'm 100% all in alcoholic. Um, that and the nightmares, and the anger and the anxiety and, you know, just this short fuse all the time looking, just looking for a so reason to snap. People were walking on eggshells around you. They were always scared of you. Not sure what uh, Jeff Shalansky was going to show up. Yeah. And they weren't just walking on eggshells. They were walking on eggshells as they got the hell out of there because yeah. they didn't want to screw the eggshells, man. Let's just barrel through the eggshells and let's get <laughs> the hell away from this guy, oh. you know, and. It was, it was one of those things where, you know, the only people that I ended up surrounding myself with was people that really didn't know me. They just had no idea what I was really about. And I walked around with this sense of entitlement. Like, I, you know, like, if you went through what I went through, you'd be like me too. Mm. And I went through this, this, you know, and I hung around people that, that echoed that cadence for me. When I would, when I would act a fool... They would actually, you know, parrot those words for me. That was the type of people I chose to, I put around me at the time. So you surrounded with, you surrounded yourself with people who were not helping you at all. They were, they were actually hurting you and driving you deeper into depression. Yeah, nothing, nobody was hurting me more than me. But these were people that just didn't know. They didn't know Jeff. They, they had no idea what Jeff, what I was about, what I cared about, or anything else. All they knew was the Jeff that they saw at the swimming pool, or they saw at the ball, at the bar, or they, they thought was funny when he, when he would get into a knockdown throwdown with some jerk they didn't like anyway. That's the Jeff they knew. And quite frankly, you know what? Why should they care? I was just in an, I was, I was entertainment. I was the dancing monkey for him, you know? So then so what happened? You know, as you got moved forward in civilian life, you you knew you weren't yourself. Yeah, there were um, some points that really, there were times that really woke you up. Yeah, um, I had a, I had a little bit of responsibility still, and uh, the wheel, but the wheels were falling off the bus real fast, and uh, I decided that I had screwed up really bad one last time, and I let my son down, and I let him down, you know. I got really drunk and I forgot to pick him up from work one night. Um, and my ex-wife had to go get him. And, you know, that was when I realized that, you know, I am just, I'm, I'm, you know, I felt worthless. I felt like I couldn't even be the dad that I swore to God. That was the one thing I I thought I was going to continue to be was a dad, no matter what. And it was by title only. And, I remember I hadn't slept in a few days, more than an hour or two. Um, Nightmares were eating me up really bad. And 
I just was at, I was in this level of depression that I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of. I honestly felt like this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was early in September and us retirees, we go ahead and we, uh, we get paid at the first of the month and uh, I get my college money the first month, the retirement at the first of the month. You know, I get a little check at the first of the month. It's early September. So I run down to Walmart to buy, you know, what I needed to survive for the next few days, which was just a lot of alcohol. And uh, I bought a shower curtain. Um, I, I, I lived in an apartment in Katy at the time. and uh, So I, outside of Houston. Yeah, just outside of Houston. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a shower curtain in my shower, but I needed another one. Um, see, because it was right then that I decided that, you know, at some point in the near future, I was going to, take that extra shower curtain and put it in the shower with me. And I was going to take my life. And the reason why I was going to take my life was because I just, I was, I, I couldn't deal with this pain anymore. I couldn't take this pain any longer. And I knew that I was going to hit this, hit the end sooner or later. And I just didn't want to make a mess. I didn't want a mess for somebody else to have to clean up. So you got the extra shower curtain to prevent the mess. Yep. I, I got the extra shower curtain and I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I knew it was going to happen. So I went ahead and hung up that extra shower curtain right away. As soon as I got home, it was the first thing I did. I hung up that extra shower curtain because when it time comes, I, I don't want to have to take the time and hanging that thing up, you know, about it didn't take long after that. Um, that was kind of like, you know, that, that was kind of like, you know, getting ready to, I, I, at that point, I felt like I'd already, I, I started, I, I was in motion. Yeah. And, um, I went and sat in that bathtub shortly thereafter. You'd given up. I'd given up. I was, I was done. I was ready to, to take my own life. And, um, I went ahead and I racked around into my pistol and, uh, I put the barrel in my mouth and, you know, I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> it sounds so stupid now. But I didn't want to be that guy that, you know, flinched at the last second and shot it through my cheek or, uh, you know, didn't freaking, you know, ended up coming out my eyeball and, you know, I ended up surviving. I didn't want to be that guy. And uh, so I, I, I put it in my mouth and I put my thumb through the trigger well. This way I could hold it exactly where I wanted it to be held. So it was going to be center mass at the top of my head. So at that point, you had com- completely checked out, I'm, and I would say lost your lost your mind because you weren't you were not thinking clearly, obviously, not thinking about anybody in your life. It's just nothing. You were going to end it. This was the the only way that I could think of at the time. Because you're right, I was absolutely out of my mind, out of my mind, and I'm thinking that. I am going to end this pain right now. It's going to be over. You know, I, I, I look back on it now and I, I came up with a long-term resolution for a, uh, an, a, a short-term problem, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel short-term, man. It felt like it was forever. And um, so I started pulling, I started pulling back on that trigger and it was in my mouth or that barrel was in my mouth and it was around chambered. And, uh, you know, I've been around guns for the last 20-something years, and I've used a lot of them, So, and I know my own pistol. 
And my guess is I probably have had about a pound and a half of, of trigger pull left. So if anybody knows, knows guns, it's not very much. So you were, you were pretty much there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's a slow, steady squeeze to the rear is what's happening right now. And uh, my daggum dog, Cup uh, Holder. Cup Holder. His name is Cup Holder. That's right. He is an absolutely an amazing German Shepherd. He goes by the name of Cup Holder. We call him Cup for short. <laughs> but uh, Cup Holder, who is my best friend, um, and he is literally the only thing I have left that uh, hasn't turned its back on me, and rightfully so. Everybody that did, you had every right to. And uh, this knucklehead stuck his head between the wall and those two shower curtains and stuck his wet, cold nose right up between my ear and my cheek and gave this, like, big breath out of his nose, like, (sighs) and it startled me. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And as soon as he did that, it was that, 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 that all of a sudden that intervention happened. Bam, this intervention happened. And because of cup holder, because of cup holder. And I, I, I slowly let the, let my thumb off the trigger. And only thing that went through my head was, man, this dog is the only thing left that depends on me. It's the only thing left that still counts on me. And if I go through with this right now, A, what's going to happen to him if they don't find me for a few days? Because mm-hmm. I lived alone. B, who's going to, you know, how's he going to eat? How's he going to get more water? And then C, the most important thing I, that, that really set home and I still think about to this day is that what's he going to think? This dude has showed me unconditional love. And helped me and been with me and just will not leave my side. And he's going to think he let me down. Now, for some of you who ain't dog lovers, you probably think that's a little over the top. But you know what? I'm an absolute dog lover. And uh, I believe that canine is a gift that we as human beings don't deserve. But that's another story. Dogs know. Yeah. Dogs know. That is not a coincidence that cop put his... No, it was up against your cheek. Yeah, he he literally intervened. He was he gave me a brief moment of clarity. And as soon as I did that, I looked at him and he looked at me and I could see this look of like, what are you doing in his eyes? And I stood up and I went out to the kitchen and I called my insurance company. And I, I got on the phone and I said, my name is Gunnery Sergeant Jeff Shalansky. My social security number is, my date of birth is, and they said, how can we help you, gunnery sergeant? And I said, I need help. I need to go to a rehab. Um, I just about uh, took my own life. I just, I almost attempted suicide. And I'm an alcoholic, and I need your help. That That is an incredible display of courage. Well... That's courage. It's absolute courage. Uh, I agree with that, looking back on it now. But if I could just carry on for a few more seconds yeah, about this please, story, please. because it'll show you the absolute insanity that goes that's going through my head at the time. The lady says to me, Gunnery Sergeant, we've got a place we can get you to right now. Right now. When can you get here? I just took a pistol out of my mouth 
I just told this lady that I'm about to kill myself. I just told this lady that I am a slave to alcohol. And when she said that, I said, hold on one second. I put the phone down. Remember, I just went to Walmart. I bought the shower curtain, but I bought a bunch of booze too. So I opened up the fridge and there was three 30 packs of beer in there. I looked on the island in my kitchen and there was three handles of whiskey. And I went into this pair of jeans that I had on that I've been wearing for probably the last three or four days, hadn't showered, nothing. And I pulled out a wad of cash. And I did it to quick math. I said, three 30 packs, three handles of whiskey, and a wad of cash. I can't make this my last hoorah. I picked back up the phone and I said, I'll be there in three days. You see, that's how crazy, absolutely crazy out of my mind I am. Oh, my goodness. I still... As bad as it was, I still needed a final hoorah. <laughs> it just goes to show you my brain was not working right. I'm a, you, you were out of your mind. And I'm an addict. I am an addict. I am addicted to a beverage. I'm a slave to it. it uh, as much as I, I love free will. I mean, you see me, man. I've got America tattooed all over mm -hmm. my body. Yeah, we the people. Star we the people. I got Statue of Liberty, Liberty Bell, Mount Rushmore, the Alamo. American flags, ooh-rah, Marine Corps all over me. I'm like a giant walking, talking <laughs> bumper sticker. I love freedom. But I was a slave, a slave to a liquid. And it made my decisions for me, man. That's how absolutely out of my mind I was. So three days later, though. Three days later, I go to rehab. And uh, I thought I was going to go to rehab to be cured. You know, I thought that's what that's what you go to rehab for. Isn't that what the commercials are for? You know, come hang out by the pool. We'll bring you some we'll bring you some Pedialyte and water and feed you grapes and life is going to be good when you get out, man. We've got a we've got an 80%, you know, recovery rate. That's not how it is, folks. That's not what rehab is about. Um rehab isn't going to cure anybody of an ailment. Rehab is not going to cure, I mean, maybe some people but the percentages are small. I learned when I was in rehab that they're there to get, I'm going to be there for the next 30 days. And that's the purpose of it is to get me healthy enough to get me physically because detoxing from, from alcohol is dangerous. You could actually die from it to get me healthy enough to get out of there, but to mentally give me some start, give me some idea of where to start in the recovery program, in the recovery world. You see, I thought I'd go there and be cured. Turns out that's not what they were doing for me at all. They were just getting me well enough so that they could tell me where to go when I left. And that's what rehab is for, folks. Rehab is not here. If, if you think, if you're thinking you or a loved one is gonna go to rehab and it's gonna cure what ails you, um, it's just a temporary solution to a permanent problem. It's just a step one. It's, it's, it's literally it's pre step one is what I like to refer to it as it's, it's pre step one. Um, and it's a major part. I'm not knocking recovery at all, or I'm not knocking rehab at all. It saved my life. You have to go through that in I order had to. to get to I had the recovery process. And they taught me where it's at and how it starts and what it looks like, you know, that was the other but you thing. had to do that then on your own. Right. You got to. And so many people, they have relapses because they, they get out and they, they're on their own. And they don't know how to do it. Absolutely. Jeff, when I got out, 
I promised myself going to this rehab that, first of all, I thought I'd never, I kept telling myself over and over again on the way to rehab, I'm never ever going to have fun ever again. Fun is over. I just took a gun out of my mouth. Like, life was so fun already, right? But I'm never going to have fun ever again, but this is what I need to do to survive. So I'm going to be the best student at this I could possibly be. I went to rehab with the thought process that if there is an honor graduate of rehab, I was going to be it. That was my attitude. Because I thought it was going to cure me. Um, like I said, that's not the case. Um, as a matter of fact, they told me when I was there, I was there maybe a week or so. And they told me, they said, Gunny, when you get out of here, we don't think it's a good idea for you to go back to your apartment in Katy, Texas. I said, well, where the hell do you think I'm going to go? And they're like, you need to go to a halfway house. You need, you need a little bit more, you need a little bit more education, a little bit more supervision. And I said, man, I ain't going to no halfway house. I'm a gunnery sergeant of Marines. I've led men. I don't need no halfway house. And they're like, it's up to you, Gunny. And I walked out of that office and I remember it rang in my head again best student of this game I could possibly be. And I turned back around and I said, look, I don't know anything about being sober and I don't know anything about recovery. So who the heck am I to tell you what I'm not going to do? Just tell me where to go. And they said, that's the best thing you could have said. We'll do it. And they, I went to a halfway that house. That took courage as well. I went to a halfway house and I stayed there for five months, man. Um, I lived in a halfway house with, with men that were like me, didn't look anything like me. Didn't have a service record like I did. Didn't even serve in the military. Some of them were homeless. Some of them were straight out of prison. Some of them were young, young men, 18, 19 years old. Oh, my goodness. But guess what? We were all the same. We were all the same. If our stories, you know, maybe didn't happen all in the same places, but our feelings, our, our trials and tribulations, they were all the same. And that's when I realized that there's something to this. There's some unity here because some of those people are still my friends today. And, you know, not everybody stays sober. Not everybody stays clean. Not everybody does it. But the ones that do, you, you, you get a herd of people and you stick together. You become a tribe. And some of them are still my friends today. So you've bonded with them just like you did with some of your friends and, and uh, uh, from the military. Right. right. Remember, I told you at the beginning, I said, uh, you know, some of the things I loved the most about the military was the camaraderie. There was that singular mission. Right. We are all from all these different walks of life, but we have one mission to accomplish and we're going to do it together. I found it again. I, so when you all had the same purpose, same purpose and stay sober, stay sober, help each other doing it, help each other doing it and look after each other, watch each other's back, get everybody to the, to the finish line, to the objective. And that's when I started to realize there's something to this. There is something about this that makes this, this is, this is some of the stuff I'd missed. This is some of the stuff I didn't have when I, was, when I retired. And the neatest part about I learned in recovery at that halfway house was that, you know, I, 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 I was privileged enough to serve in the greatest organization, I feel, that the world has ever seen. The United um, States Marine Corps. The United States Marine Corps, as far as I'm concerned, is the greatest organization this planet has ever seen or ever will see. But you know what? Even in the Corps, there was some people 
that wanted me to fail so that they could look better. I'm not talking about fail on the battlefield. I'm talking about in garrison. Mm -hmm. Um, There was, there was people like that. And there was people that I wanted to fail. So that I would look better too. I realized that that turned out to be true in every single facet of my life. Those people are everywhere. Jeff. Those people are everywhere. They're, they're, they're in your family. They're in your friends they're everywhere. And man, they are certainly in the civilian world. As far as occupation goes, the recovery world is the one place that I've found. Now I'm only 47 years old, so I haven't been on this planet forever. But the recovery world is the only place that I personally have seen where 100% of the people want you to succeed 100% of the time. And it's vice versa. It's not just them wanting me. I want them. I'm a selfish liar, cheat, thief. That's the type of guy I was. Man, I want everybody in recovery to make it. I really do. And it means so much to me. And that means so much to them that they want me to make it. I've never seen that anywhere else. And so when I when that light comes on and I realize that, and don't get me wrong, there's some guys and gals that I know in recovery that I can't stand. Personally, I just don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't like me. I, I you know, I come off a little arrogant sometimes, you know. And uh just passionate. Yeah, a little a little egotistical too. But those people still want me to stay sober. And I want them to as well. Of course. That's a miracle because nobody comes into recovery on a, on a winning streak. You know, everybody that walks in that door for the first time, they come in, they at the low, they, that's, they, they, they're at their bottom, just yeah. like I was with a pistol in my mouth. Right. It's a miracle that people like that, like me, liar, cheat, and thief, can't, no, I never stole your wallet. That's not the type of thief I was. I was the type of guy who stole your time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's, there's a miracle to people like that, like me, that can turn around in a 180 degree direction and go the polar opposite direction and stay that way. I've never seen it anywhere else, Jeff. I've never seen it anywhere else. And 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 I think that's what it takes to make it through and to be successful. And you have been successful. So how many, how many years ago was that? Um, my sobriety date is September 8th of 2016. So I am literally a little less than a month from five years, five man. Five years. Five years. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm very, very proud. It's funny, you, you know, should be. in the recovery world, there's this big word that's thrown out there called anonymous. You know, anonymous. You don't ever use anybody else's name. You don't ever share anybody else's information. It's anonymous. I think that's just for, for newcomers. Because, you know, I've been doing this a minute now. Not as long as some my mentors by any means. But man, I, anytime anybody wants me to talk about it now, I will praise recovery's name and I will tell my story to anybody who will listen. Uh, so yeah, it's the one thing that I'm that I'm really really proud about, and I don't try to hide it from anybody. Um, That's wonderful. I st- and we need more of you. Yeah, I agree. But you know, it's tough. You know, it's something. It's hard for a lot of people to understand. When I first started working at, uh, I work at Allstate now, and uh, I was at a point where I'd tell anybody who would listen. But at my other job before that, I waited six months before I told anybody. I needed to get through that probationary period. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I've learned I won't I couldn't wait for that six month probation period to be over because I just knew if I brought it up 
and I told as many people as possible, there would be somebody that if they're in my shoes or where I was, there's a guy I can talk to about it. There's a guy that I, that guy can tell, point me in the right direction. And so that's why I love to tell people about it. That's awesome. Thanks. Jeff, it has been such a privilege and honor to have you here. And this is just the first episode of two that we're going to spend with Jeff Shalansky. So the next episode, we're going to talk about your real passion, and that's Fob Razor. Yay, and yay. That, and how that came about and what it's, what's the goal with Fob Razor and, and just what it means and, and what, what it can do for so many people. So, again, thank you, Jeff, for being here. Uh, I mean, you just blew me away. And I know that everybody got, you know, my goal with this podcast is that everybody walks away with at least one nugget of useful information that they can apply to their life right away. There's no way that we, they didn't get many, many nuggets from you. And your passion is so contagious. And we, like I said, we need more of you, Jeff Shalansky. Thanks for everything that you're doing. Thank you, sir. The honor is all mine. Absolutely. So, friends, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I hope it was a great day for you, and I hope tomorrow is even better. And we will check in with Jeff in the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Understandable Solutions. We hope we met our goal, and remember, that was for you to walk away with at least one nugget of useful and thought-provoking information to make your day. And tell us what that is. We want to know. Be sure to review us favorably on your favorite podcast platform. 